and welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you for joining me for this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. Our guest today is going to be uh, joining us in just a moment. He's the author of Love, Dad, How My Father Died, Then told me he didn't. Mike Anthony will be our guest in just a moment. I want to remind you of this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. It's also heard on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at all four times at richarddugan.com. We are podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations that you folks are also posting us to, and I thank you for doing that. I also thank those of you who have supported us financially, and if you're able to do so, we have a Pod, a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. Any amount is welcome. And we'll, you know what, we'll take energetic support as well. We also would like to uh, let you know that this is the decade of perfect vision. Uh, I probably have worn this into the ground, but I, I can't help it because it's so important for you to spend time going within, listening to that still small voice and uh, finding that calm, peaceful place where you can just kind of relax and rejuvenate from all of the stuff that's been going on around you and to you and with you and so forth. Calm down. All right. Find that peaceful place. Uh, maybe if you can find a place in nature, just listen to the birds and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, it's, it's so valuable for all of us to do that. So I hope you'll take time to do that. Uh, as I mentioned, my guest is uh, joining us here. Um, not sure exactly where. We'll find out in a moment. Mike Anthony, thank you so much for being with us and sharing with us your story about your relationship with your father. One of the things that I am so intrigued by, of course, is the fact that my father is 90 years old this year, 90. 20 years ago on his birthday, I asked him, so dad, uh, how does it feel to be 70? And I think, I'm not sure if his response would be the same now or not. He's gotten a little slower and all that, but he's still doing well. He says, well, I have two answers. Number one is, um, didn't expect to live this long. Number two is, but I am glad I'm here. <laughs> and we, of course, said, well, you're glad you're here, too. Now, my mother's still alive. She's uh, 87 this year. Uh, both of oh, them doing great. well. Both of them are vaccinated, uh, all of that good stuff. Uh, but I think they're still just taking it easy, not going too many places, if any place at all. And uh, it's just one of those things where, I don't know, maybe I take more glee out of my father's being 90 than he does. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but people are living a long, long time these days. But sometimes, you know, the kids and it's they say this is the natural order of things that the parents should go before the kids. And right. in your case, right. obviously, that is uh, that is what happened. First of all, uh, tell us about your relationship prior to his passing, his transitioning, as I like to call it. Tell us about your relationship with him. But prior to that. Sure. I'm glad. First of all, I'm glad to hear your parents are, are doing so well, and I wish them continued health and very, very long, lovely lives. Um, my yeah, my dad and I were incredibly close. He he was uh, my whole family very close. My dad was an extraordinary guy, just not your average human being in terms of um, his sort of just innate goodness. He had this energy about him that was 
very uh, special. And um, he was, when he passed, he was only 60 and he was a young 60. You know, my dad was the day that he died. He was out playing basketball with his grandkids. You know, he uh, worked as a delivery driver for FedEx, a very active job. Um, so he was just so present in our lives. You know, he was, um, it, it, we thought that if anybody in our family had a shot to do what your parents are doing, we thought it was going to be him. Um, so when he passed, it was a complete, from our perspective, out of the blue, utter shock. Um, and, and given how, you know, all, all families are crazy in their own ways, right? Uh, my dad was the the eye in the center of our storm. You know, he was the guy that you went to no matter what was going on. If there was any issue you had, my dad was the first phone call. Uh, he would have been the guy that you needed around if you suddenly lost someone close to you. So not only did we lose uh, my dad, you know, we lost the person who would have been there to help us through something like that. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and, I'm curious, I do not know a lot, I can theorize, about my father's inner life, his spiritual life, because he has been very private about that, which is just fine. I mean, it's none of my business as an individual, not just so much as a child uh, of his, uh, that, you know, it's it's a private thing. I mean, I, I grew up uh, Roman Catholic, and of course, when I went to work for a Christian station, you kept hearing the phrase, and it's you have your own personal relationship with God, personal, which means it's nobody else's business whether or not you think I'm saved or you think I'm doing the right things, you know. That is my business. And so for my father, I respect that. But I have a, sort of a general idea. What do you know about your father's uh, inner life? And again, this is obviously prior to his, uh, his departure from this particular world. Yeah, my dad, my family is not a religious family in that, um, you know, we went when I was a kid, we went to church, you know, maybe on Christmas and Easter, uh, you know, we, Christian. Uh, my mom, uh, you know, we went to catechism and were baptized and had our first communion and all of that. And I got the sense that my mom was doing that sort of to cover the bases, like just in case this is the only way to get into paradise or whatever, we might as well. Hedging her bets know, not is what you're saying. Chance. Hedging her bets, exactly, you say. Yeah. Exactly, yes. Uh, my dad grew up, uh, he was Protestant, but I doubt he really even knew what that meant yeah. in terms of um, uh, how, you know, the particular mode of worship that, Prote Prote you know, to be a Protestant is. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say, you know, he lived the life that every spiritual tradition tells us you should try to live. My dad lived it in action. He was the kind of person, the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Torah, the Quran. He was the type of person that all of these traditions tell us we're supposed to be. He lived only for other people. The only thing that brought my dad happiness was our happiness, truly. He was the most humble guy I'd ever met. When, when I say he was um, a special guy, I mean, I really mean it. I, I had this, I have this memory when I was a little kid, um, when we first, when I was going to catechism, we, and we learned about angels, right? These, these supernatural beings who are here around us that we can't see, but are here to help us in some way, sent by God, and these lovely, all loving beings. And it struck me that my dad had 
every attribute about that these angels have that I was learning about. So one day I, I was maybe like four or five. Uh, we were in the kitchen one morning and my dad was making his, uh, his famous dish, his, his French toast, uh, his only dish also. And I was like, <laughs> uh, dad, just, uh, just your secret safe with me. Just tell me, are you an angel? And he was like, well, you know, what do you mean? And I said, y you're just, you're so nice. Uh, to everybody. And he said, Oh, I mean, but you know, you should always try to be nice. Um, so just that gives you a, a window into the kind of guy he was that as, as such a young kid, mm. I actually wondered, I mean, this was not a game. I was actually wondering, could this guy be an angel? Cause he just, he just felt different to me than other, other people in the world. You know, he had, he had this goodness. So I don't know. Um, we did, we, we actually surprisingly did not talk a lot about things like uh, religion or what he felt happened after you die. Um, I do have the very uh, strange um, uh, occurrence of having my dad telling me the night that he died, uh, we were together the night that he passed, uh, watching a football game together on television. And we were talking about his mother, who was in her 90s. And like your parents, his mom was in great shape her entire life, mentally sharp, um, really uh, an amazing woman health-wise. And then really suddenly, right towards the end, she started to show signs of um, Alzheimer's. And my grandmother had been a person who had been afraid, I think, of dying. You know, she loved being alive. Uh, and and I, death was something that scared her. So my dad and I that night were talking about, you know, the Alzheimer's that she was starting to show these signs of. And I said, well, you know, for as, as difficult as Alzheimer's is, I don't want to diminish that for, for the family members, you know, nothing harder than your mom not knowing who you are anymore. We went through that with my other grandmother. So I know how hard that is. But I said, you know, for the person going through it, it could be a blessing, possibly, you know, mm -hmm. she's not going to be afraid of dying now, you know, um, she'll be having, you know, her, her mental space is going to be much different now than it had been. And as soon as I said that, my dad said, Oh, I'm not afraid to die which was a weird thing because we weren't, we were talking about his mother and I thought, you know, death was the farthest thing from my mind with my dad. So 30 minutes before my dad died, because he walked out of that house, drove around the corner to his house, which is only five minutes away, walked inside and died. He still had his keys in his hand. So that's how we know it was something very, very fast. Mm. Uh, 30 minutes after telling me he was not afraid to die, he died. Um, so other than him telling me he was not afraid of death, and what comes after, uh, we did not talk a whole lot about his thoughts on that. Hmm. Wow. Well, I, again, I don't know. And nowadays I wanted to, in the context of an interview like this, wanted to ask my father uh, some of those questions, you know, and I'm just concerned that it's going to maybe open some things up he doesn't want to deal with, or maybe mm. I just don't. So I figure, you know what? Again, none of my business. It's his business. Maybe if he, and I, I don't know who's going first. Uh, I would venture. I know that there were a lot of couples who are really close. My parents uh, will be married uh, 70 years in 2026. Wow, okay. that's extraordinary. Yeah. Wow. Now, I was there for their 50th wedding anniversary and their 60th, and I, I hope they make it to their 70th. Uh, but, you know, you hear quite often where a couple, very close, 
one follows the other. Sometimes they go together. And uh, there's a part of me that sits here. Now, you obviously uh, weren't even thinking about it at the time, but with my parents in, in the at the ages that they are, every so often the phone rings, my phone rings, and I'm wondering, could that be the call? And, yeah. of course, immediately my wife's going to say, you have to go back to Phoenix. You have yeah. to go be with your family. All of that kind of stuff. We'll see. You know, I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is, what I do know is that um, this process that we are talking about here hmm, is, is very interesting in that the, the, the lives that we live impact so many people. And my parents here are leaving behind when they do go. An incredible legacy. I don't know about your family, but uh, they had six kids. They wanted a big family, so there was no sacrificing. And they didn't sacrifice anything because this is what they wanted. They have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. We had four generations at one point until my great-grandmother on my mother's side passed. I used to say to them, I'm going to outlive that woman, but she's making it really hard. And this was uh, at, at the age of 95. She died at 100. So I've got another 40 wow. years to go, another lifetime. But Good for you. Good for you. Yes. It's, it's uh, a legacy that they're leaving behind that maybe they personally and individually aren't leaving a mark per se, but that their children mm. are. My legacy, I would have to say, is probably what I'm going to leave on the Internet in the cloud with all of these programs, podcasts and videocasts. But at the same time, I'm sure that your father imparted to you, even if it was just genetically, DNA, uh, the ability to uh, extend, if you will, his legacy through you and maybe through your children mm-hmm. if you're married and have kids uh, to make this world a better place. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, for, I think that we are all far far more powerful than than we realize. Um, And you, Richard, affect the the world in every single interaction that you have, every single one. doesn't matter how how short. Uh, You could be buying coffee at your local Starbucks, and the interaction you have with the person handing you your coffee um, has an effect. And and, and we we so easily lose lose sight of that. Um, And consequently, we aren't always, I don't think, as careful with our words and our actions um, as, as we would be if we were constantly aware. So your parents, um, they have lived a lifetime and have sent ripples out into the sea of existence that will never end. Um, and they're, so, they're powerful in ways that while we're inside a human brain and while we're experiencing existence through this brain, this very limited sense of the whole, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're not going to be able to really grasp all of this. But I love the stories of people who have near-death experiences, right? People who who, who pass and are resuscitated and while they're dead, while they have no discernible brain or heart activity, uh, have uh, these profound experiences. One of the things um, they often report is a life review, right, of mm. some kind, where they are shown every moment of their life. And they say that it's hard to explain this because some of them are dead for 30 seconds. And yeah. yet it feels to them like they were gone for 50 years because there's no 
the experience of time is, is not the same when you're out of body. So they'll be shown their entire life, literally moment to moment. Not only that, they will be made to feel everything they made everyone else feel in every single interaction that they had. Mm. So for instance, they'll go back to that day when they were 18 years old at that coffee shop buying that thing and they simply smiled at the person handing the coffee and they will feel how that smile impacted the person. They'll feel it as the person and they'll know that that person was kinder to the next person in line just because of that smile. So they are able to perceive in, in that moment while out of body the absolute, the extraordinary power that our thoughts and words and actions have. And they say it really, it is even just our thoughts, just the thoughts we have, have an actual power to them. Um, and, uh, you know, the near-death experience is very individual. It's, it's varied and, um, uh, you know, you, you won't hear the same exact one twice. But one of the things that is very often reported when people come back and you ask them, because I've talked to many people now in the course of writing this book uh, who've had near-death experiences. Uh, and if you say, you know, so what's one, one, if you could give me one piece of advice, one thing you learned while having this profound experience, what would it be? Uh, something they often say is uh, just be as kind as you can be. Just be as nice as you can be, which is something, of course, that my dad would have said, uh, because you are much more affecting than you know. You, you, have, um, you have an impact on this world that uh, while you're in a body and in a brain, you're not gonna be able to fully perceive, but it doesn't make it any less real. So I would say that your parents, through their children, through their grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and, and then every single moment of their lives that they've had with other people have, have impacted the world. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think that we're all, um, you know, uh, really, we, we have a superpower. We can change how the world feels to other human beings. Uh, and, and if that's not the best power to have, you know, I don't know what is. Now, your book title is actually a salutation in a letter uh, where your dad has written this letter and he ends it with love, dad. Yeah. And it again is that that's the title of the book, folks. And it's uh, how my father died then told me he didn't. Well, we are going to find out what in the Sam Hill that means in just a moment. As we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, I'm Richard Dugan here with Mike Anthony, and you are listening to uh, uh, a program that gives you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And we come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times as we bring you Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're on podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes and TuneIn Radio and other locations. Videocast on YouTube. The YouTube channel is Richard Dugan. Tell Me Your Story. Look for the guy with the hat. And uh, we hope that you will uh, participate by going to, uh, to uh, Mike Anthony's uh, website. We'll give that to you in just a couple of moments. Let me ask you something, Mike. When your father passed, when you got that call, what was the first thing that went through your mind? You somewhat alluded to it in our last segment, but I'm just curious. Uh, was it fear and anxiety and grief or was it, oh, wow, now I'm, I'm, now I'm really onto something? 
Um, I was working when I got the phone call. My day job, I, I bartend for a theater on Broadway. So my the phone rang and it was my sister and it was just a minute or two before intermission was supposed to happen. And, you know, intermission on Broadway is insane, right? Suddenly mm -hmm. there are a thousand people at the bar wanting their drinks. And it was a comedy that I was working at at that time. So everyone was in very high spirits. So I get the call and my sister is wailing. Um, and I write in the book that the word whale I had read before, I'm also an actor, and I'd read the word whale in like Greek tragedies, mm -hmm. but I had no sense of what it actually meant until I heard my sister on the phone mm -hmm. making these sounds. It was the most dreadful thing I'd ever heard. Um, and she said, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. And, and my mom was screaming in the background. So... The um, impact of that was completely shocking. And I now realize that I went into a state of shock. Hearing them on the phone, um, I was thinking, oh my God, not only have I just lost my dad, which I can't even begin to assimilate into my mind, um, I'm now worried that I'm gonna lose my mom, mom and my sister. I mean, I was literally afraid that they were going to die themselves given the screaming that yeah. I was hearing on the phone. Yeah. So I hung up and then I have this very clear memory. Um, I, I'm making a drink, you know, intermission happens. All of these people flood the bar and I'm making a rum and Coke for this woman. And I'm saying, how's the show? Are you enjoying the show? And I went through the whole intermission just in this complete state of shock. Um, mm. And then after the shift ended, I was walking uh, from the theater to Grand Central to take the train to Connecticut. I live in Connecticut. I work in New York. And uh, when I was out on the sidewalk walking to Grand Central, uh, I suddenly began to have my very first panic attack. Uh, so anxiety was definitely the initial um, uh, major thing that I was feeling is definitely anxiety. Hmm. However, uh, there was a point at which you somehow became reconnected with your father. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll say through the spirit world. And... A lot of us are hoping. I have a dear friend that my wife and I, my present wife and I, uh, uh, experienced his passing. Uh, he passed away actually in our home more so than in the hospital because mm -hmm. basically they declared him brain dead at one point. She actually came home from work and he was there laying on the floor as he would normally do. It was not unusual for him to lay on the floor. It was more comfortable, he said. And so she decided, well, I'm going to go in, take my shower, I'll come back out. When she came back out, and she's been in the medical field for many, many years, she heard that gurgling sound, and she knew exactly what that was. And, of course, she immediately rolled him over, began CPR. And how she did this, I don't know. She still doesn't know how she managed to do that and call 911. Mm. Uh, and we sometimes wonder, where, what happened, you know, and those kinds of things. Well, in 19, 2004, and that has to do with this picture that most of the folks watching on YouTube can see behind me, was taken in 2004. Our friend passed in, uh, on the 10th of October, 2003, 10-10. Well, uh, I had this dream uh, the night before we visited the Aran Islands, uh, and I heard the voice of my friend. Didn't see anything, just heard the voice saying, don't say anything in front of Bridget. What does that mean? I don't even know a Bridget. We're on <laughs> the island. We're at this uh, series of the five churches there. Uh, there are cemeteries. And I'm over at this uh, supposed altar of a church. No roof on it anymore, of course. 
And I'm looking at what I jokingly said, and I took a picture of this, was the first wheel, you know, <laughs> just joking around. My wife comes over and says, you need to come over here. So I followed her. She says, she shows me this tombstone. Now, these tombstones were laid flat on the ground. They weren't upright. She says, read it. Well, my wife's maiden name is McDonough. And the name on the tombstone was McDonough. And the first name of the person who had been laid to rest in that tomb, as you probably have already guessed, was mm. Bridget. I immediately, I kid you not, immediately put my hand over my mouth and walked away. I mean, I, I, not that I was going to say anything, but I remembered the dream. <laughs> so how were you first introduced to your father in spirit? Yeah, that's an amazing story. I'm, I'm, it's so fascinating that you've had that experience. Um, and I've heard so many stories like that since, uh, since you know, part of my story is told in a Netflix series called Surviving Death. And I've gotten a lot of messages from people telling me stories like this. These stories are so common. They're ubiquitous. Uh, and that alone, to me, is evidential of something. So the way that it happened with us, um, you know, before I became an actor, I had actually intended to be a science teacher. I was going to be a high school science teacher. And that's what I went to college for initially. And, you know, science, the mainstream materialist scientific paradigm says that there is absolutely no such thing as any existence beyond death. Uh, the mainstream paradigm believes that consciousness is created by the brain and that when the brain stops getting oxygen, that's the end period. Right. Um, and I was being crushed by that thought. When my dad was gone, I went into a full blown existential crisis thinking that if someone as wonderful as that guy, could disappear as though he'd never been here, then what was the point of anything at all? Um, so science, um, given the fact that, that it says there's no such thing as life after death, I had assumed that if there was any evidence out there, scientific evidence, that we might survive death, surely someone in one of my science classes would have told me about that, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing when I was in high school, a show named Crossing Over with John Edward, who was a medium, right? Who, who claims the ability to hear dead people. And I was fascinated by the show. I thought it was very intriguing, but I thought surely if there really is anything to that, science would have told me about it, right? That was my mindset when my dad passed. But then out of the blue, uh, about a day after we buried my father. So we're talking immediately after his burial. Mm -hmm. uh, a second, a guy who is married to my second cousin called my mom's house. A guy who had never called my mom before, ever. I couldn't even picture who this person was when my mom first told me about this. Calls her house and tells her that a friend of his who is a medium uh, has my father talking to her and he's desperate to get a message to us that he was okay. Mm. Uh, so that was how, you know, mediumship is something that most people seek out, right? You're grieving and it might be a tool some people use to mitigate some of that pain. In our case, mediumship just came careening into our lives out of nowhere. This was not something we sought out. This fell into our laps and ended up totally changing my life uh, because 
the scientific part of my brain, though, of course, I wanted to believe that this was true, that this total stranger, by the way, this woman had never met my dad, had never met my family, total stranger. Of course, I wanted to believe that my disembodied father had somehow found a way to contact this stranger and get this message to us. But um, I was going to need a lot of evidence before I was going to believe something mm -hmm. like that. Oh, yeah. And my gosh, Richard, I sure got the evidence. <laughs> We're going to talk about that evidence here in just a couple of moments here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Your website, what is that website where people can maybe connect with you, contact you, share with you maybe their stories uh, in that regard? Sure. It's MikeAnthony.com, and you can send an email through that, and I love hearing those stories, so please feel free to send, to send them. Great. MikeAnthony.com is the website. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. We're talking about Love Dad. And it is also as featured, as uh, and Mike just told us, featured in the Netflix uh, series Surviving Death. And uh, I have to tell you, I love those programs. And this sounds strange as we go, uh, go on here, that this conversation about death and dying, or I like to use the word transitioning because those two words just have so much baggage. Uh, that is a subject that is strangely near and dear to my heart in that I am always curious as to what that I'll say individual, is experiencing after death, after they've left the physical body. It's fascinating. And we'll talk more about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. New Paradigms for a New World is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true here with Mike Anthony. MikeAnthony.com. I almost uh, said Mark Anthony. I'm thinking, and with Caesar and all of that good stuff there. And you being an actor, you would understand all of that. Love Dad is the title of his book. Is this your first uh, no, the first is actually called Life at Hamilton, which is uh, about my experiences bartending for the Broadway show Hamilton. I, I was going to say, or, or <clears throat> oh, now that would, I didn't realize there was a bartender in the play. <laughs> <laughs> and Only this, the night I jumped up on stage. That there was the there only you night go. There was a I'm sure that Manuel didn't mind. I mean, you know, you're serving drinks Not and at all. everyone is doing very well. They're all loose and raring to go. <laughs> How my father died then told me he didn't. Now, let's talk about this aspect of, of uh, uh, transitioning. What were, the, what were the bits and pieces of evidence that you were introduced to that you accepted? Okay, see, this is the other thing. People can tell you anything they want to get you to convince you, but unless you believe it, forget it. Yeah. What, what began the process of convincing it was a long process um and that's what the book details but what began the process of convincing was after this phone call came in out of the blue from this this second cousin's husband um my sister hired happened to hear a medium on the radio here in connecticut someone who called herself a professional evidential medium this woman who called her house wasn't a professional she was just, you know a friend of a friend so uh, my sister found the timing of that odd. It was the, the next morning after we'd, I'd had this conversation, I ended up calling that medium and we had this conversation. And I told my sister, I don't know, she sounds sane to me. Um, and the next morning, my sister hears this medium on the radio. So she made an appointment with her to come and do a reading at our house. So um, I was incredibly, I was scrutinizing every moment of this thing from the moment this woman walked in the house. I was watching her eyes, for instance, to see is she looking around at the walls to see if there are photographs anywhere, for instance, that she could be getting information from? I mean, I was paying attention to like really minute details of her, her actions. 
But I had set up a little experiment. I had earlier that day, I talked to my dad and I said, okay, dad, this woman's coming over here. Supposedly you've already on your, of your own volition, uh, have contacted this, this other person. We have this professional coming here tonight. Uh, and if you can do what this other woman says, I want you to be, I want you to deliver a very specific message, which it seems to me you should be able to do if you've already done this other thing. Uh, and I was standing in my dad's house. It was like two hours before the reading was supposed to happen. And I was suddenly flooded with this memory of when I was a kid, my, my parents got divorced when I was very young. And we, my sister and I spent the weekends with him. And on Friday nights, we were so excited to see him that we had trouble going to sleep. So we would ask him to play with our hair. And he was sorry he ever started that because it, we never let him stop. You know, it was like five more minutes, dad. Five. So the poor guy would have to play with our hair until his hands were totally cramped. And suddenly, for whatever reason, I was flooded with that memory, something I hadn't thought of in years. And I said, OK, dad, that's the thing. This medium has to mention my hair. I need her to mention my hair. If she doesn't do that, it doesn't matter what else she says. I'm not going to believe that this is the real deal. And you'll notice that my hair is completely average, right? There's nothing about my hair that a stranger would walk in and think, oh, there's got to be a story here about this dude's do, you yeah. know? Mm -hmm. um, so she comes to the house, does the reading. It lasts for about an hour and a half. And right from the beginning, everything she's saying is remarkably accurate. She's saying things that are not published anywhere, not, nowhere on Facebook. On, I mean, this is before Facebook was the big deal that it is now. Mm -hmm. uh, but even so, nothing she said would have been published on Facebook in an, in an obituary anywhere. Very personal stuff, highly personal, to the point of actually uh, quoting a conversation, almost word for word, that my sister had had the day before. Very private conversation. Um, and and my, the scientific part of my mind is reeling. Think, thinking how is she doing this because again according to your average scientist this woman has to be lying to me right that's the only explanation she is somehow faking this so how in the world is she doing it i could not figure that out within you know halfway through everyone in that room there were seven of us we're crying we're weeping because it seems to us that the occam's razor answer the simplest explanation is that this woman truly is somehow hearing from my father who is in this room without a body somehow, mm. uh, no matter what science says. So if this woman is a con artist, right, if you're if you're faking this and, and to be sure there, you know, me, the history of mediumship is fraught with people who have uh, faked it. And that's what what's made it so difficult for modern science to really investigate this well, because it has such the, uh, such a stigma about it now. Um but she, 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 if you're, if you are faking it, you know when to stop. You know, there's no reason to push the envelope. If you see these seven weeping fools sitting in front of you, you're done. Mission accomplished. They're all going to walk out of here, tell everybody they know about the amazing medium they met, and you're going to get a ton of work out of this, right? But instead, we were wrapping up to leave. We're telling her this is the most extraordinary night of our lives. You know, that's we're literally saying things, you know, hyperbolic things like that. Um, and we're making small talk just before she's about to leave. So the reading is for all intents and purposes over. And in the middle of a sentence, Richard, she stopped. And apropos of nothing, she looked at me. Again, there are seven of us there. She looked right at me and in mid-sentence said, your dad wants to talk about your hair. And she did this with her hand. <laughs> and I, it totally stunned me. It was like someone had punched me in the stomach because I, I, like my breath was taken away and my mom and sister are saying what what because I hadn't even told them it was purely between me and my dead 
father. Mm. And yet she was able to say that. And that is what started me uh, down a journey that would entirely change my life because the proof that I ended up getting, Richard, is unequivocal. Um, the, the final chapter of the book, I talk about something that I happened. Uh, I, I typically don't get too far into it in interviews because it's better if you build up to that point. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be so far beyond the average person's sense of what's possible. But I promise you, I from my heart, what you read in that book is absolutely true. I was sitting beside a, a journalist for the New York Times, a woman named Leslie Kane, when it happened. She has written about this herself. Um, and, you know, when you're a journalist for a paper like The Times, you have to be very careful about what you publish. Uh, so I promise you it is true. And I now know without doubt that no matter how many Nobel Prizes a scientist might have sitting on their shelf, mm -hmm. If they tell you there is no such thing as anything, quote unquote, paranormal or any evidence that we are more than our bodies, they're wrong about that. I know that they're way smarter than I am, but on that particular front, they're not right. And it's a huge front um, because, you know, as you said before, death is this ever present thing, right? It's, it's always in the background. We do what we can to push it away, but it's always there. Um, I write in the beginning of the book about the show, The Good Place, that's on Netflix, a popular show about the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And there's this beautiful scene where the, the lead character, she's trying to explain to this angel figure, this mm -hmm. eternal figure, what it's like to be human. And he's not grasping it because he's eternal and he knows he's eternal. So she says to him, human beings, you know, we're all aware of death. So we're all a little bit sad all the time. And I totally relate to that as much as we try to push it away subconsciously, we know there's an end date to this thing. This thing, a hundred percent of the time comes to an end, but knowing what I know now, I cannot tell you, Richard, how much it mitigates the fear of dying. And uh, because I know it does not end now, I, like 100%, I know that we are so much more than this body. And when you're not constantly worried about how the journey comes to an end, the journey itself becomes the thing you get to focus on, right? You can just have fun. Now it's like you're on vacation and you know, at the end of it, you're just going home. So mm -hmm. you can just totally enjoy the moment now instead of being worried about the end. So uh, that's what the book is for. That was why I wrote it. What, what the things that happened were so extraordinary that I, I felt like it wasn't fair uh, to keep them to, to myself, you know, I really, really, that's how it felt like this. People deserve to have this information if they want it. So so that's why the book is out there. Well, let me just say that from my perspective. And I, I've had these conversations with people before about death and I've got friends and associates and loved ones who are afraid and they're concerned that there isn't anything after this life. And I say, well, let me just share with you my perspective, and I do, and I say, and based upon that, I believe there's something after this, because it doesn't make any sense to me, logically, that we go through all of this, and we go through all this personal growth, as we call it, and we raise our consciousness, and so forth, and then this lights out. So let me just say that if, because of your fear, there is lights out, you aren't going to know anyway, okay? Right, right. But based upon my personal processing and analysis there is something after this matter of fact i don't know if you're familiar with a, 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 a science called life between lives 
Oh, yes, very much You're so. familiar with the Newton Institute. Very, yes, I, I know them very well. I've, I made a bit of a documentary with them, yeah. Oh, really? I'll have to check on that and see what that's about. Because I read several of the books. I got them on Audible. I even went through a session. It is a conscious hypnosis session where uh, this gentleman took me back to my previous life before this one, up to my death, which I have to tell you was pretty cool in the sense that uh, I walked outside the cabin that I was living in, and I sat down on a chair, leaned it back, put my feet up on the rail, kicked my hat back, and I said, it's been a good life. And then I left the body. Wow. And then I began the journey between that life and this one. Um, it's, to me, those are the fascinating aspects of this. So, again, if there isn't anything after this, we're not going to know it anyway. Mm-hmm. But again... It doesn't make any sense. What does make sense is that we're, you're listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Mike Anthony is my guest. Love, Dad. You know, you when you say the title, it has to be done properly because it is a salutation. Uh, love, yeah. Dad. And it is uh, how my father died and then uh, then told me he didn't. Uh, MikeAnthony.com's the website, and we hope that you will go to his website to find out more. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a, wor- a New World, Paradigms for a New World. That's what it is. And you can go to richarddugan.com. That's our website so that you can find out more about what we are doing. But you can also listen to the podcasts there uh, as well as on SoundCloud and iTunes and a bunch of other locations. Also, YouTube where you can watch these interviews. And then we encourage you to go to mikeanthony.com, which is our guest today, Mike Anthony, who has written a book called Love Dad. And it was how my father died, then told me he didn't. Is that now your perspective that not only uh, uh, you believe, but your father has affirmed for you, if you will, that he didn't die, that he is very much. And and I want to put it this way, because you made the comment about. Uh, and by the way, I do love that program uh, uh, um, uh, that you referenced. A good, a and good ca- place. A good place. Yes. It's very with Ted Danzen. Yes. Ted Danzen. Yes. Um, but you made the comment uh, about uh, how the angel knew that uh, the angel was eternal. And isn't it the reality that, uh, as you have uh, searched through all of this, we are eternal? Maybe not the body, but that which animates us? Yeah, that is my um, belief now. You know, so, the, so we'll start talking here about stuff that science can't test, and that's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, it is my my belief now that uh, we are much more than our body. We survive the death of this body. And given the evidence for reincarnation that is out there, and there is a ton of actual scientific, scientifically gathered uh, evidence mm-hmm. that reincarnation is actually a real thing. Uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association, one of the most respected scientific peer-reviewed journals in the world, the book editor for JAMA, looked at the uh, evidence accumulated at the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia by Dr. Ian Stevenson, Dr. Jim Tucker, amazing evidence, and the JAMA book editor concluded that reincarnation was the most likely explanation. Um, so given that, it, where people feel like they've lived many, many lives, um, to me, logically, uh, eternity could very well be the case. Uh, you mentioned life between life mm-hmm. therapy, the Michael Newton Institute, yes. which I am fascinated by now. In my documentary that I've been working on, I had a friend of mine who knew nothing about this stuff undergo the ther- therapy, and we filmed it. I have a little 
clip of that on my website if people are interested. Hmm. Um, it totally changed her life. She now knows, according to her, that she has lived before, and it has taken away, it takes away the fear of death. If people out there are really struggling with the fear of death, as you mentioned, uh, this form of therapy can really help sometimes. Uh, in some, in some cases, it completely alleviates that um, fear because that's how profound the experience is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it seems to me now that that we, uh, while we're experiencing existence through this brain, I think maybe the function of the brain is to limit our our perspective, uh, to give us this kind of finite view uh this very particular uh, um experience that feels like it has an end to it um and i feel like that's probably there as some form of growth mechanism some form of learning mechanism um and that when the brain dissolves away and we're no longer constrained by that filter uh i think that we are again aware of our greater the greater reality that we exist in uh wherein we realize, oh, oh, yeah, uh, this this is reality. My eternal yeah. being is reality. You know. Now uh, you said you didn't grow up uh, in a very religious uh, home, but I. But it sounds like you have read a number of the uh, what I like to call ancient wisdom teachings. And of course, mm. I grew up in a Roman Catholic uh, family, Western Rite, and I also worked for 15 years for a Christian radio station. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I always found perplexing was this. According to Paul in one of the epistles, it says, it is appointed to every man once to die and then the judgment. Well, in the New Testament, in one of the Gospels, you notice I'm not mentioning the exact books because it's not really relevant. You look it up. You tell me where it is. Uh, but in one of the Gospels, uh, there's the story of Lazarus. Hmm. And it has stated in that book that he died. And that one of the miracles that Jesus performed was to raise him from what? The dead. So the question that I raise is, did he die? Or was he just in a coma? Uh, or, or, or what state was he in? Because he couldn't have been dead because Paul says... It is appointed to every man once to die, which now means that if Jesus raised him from the dead, now Lazarus has died twice. So I say to that, to quote, and I'm sure you'll get this uh, reference, I say to that, uh, now I can't remember the quote I was going to say. Oh, explain it to me, Lucy, uh, because that doesn't make any sense. You can't have it yeah. both ways. Yeah, so let yeah. me ask you about that in reference to all, and then I guess it's it's now we have to start looking at these ancient wisdom teachings from a different perspective. Mm. You know, I'm not saying they're wrong. Uh, what I'm mm. saying is there's the possibility that we aren't interpreting them quite right. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, and of course, you know, if you look at some of the Gnostic gospels, there are gospels that were scrubbed that were not used. Uh, by Emperor Constantine in the in the Bible that do reference reincarnation, you know. So, um, yeah, my sense of these ancient wisdom texts are that they're all 
filtered through a human brain, right? Even if they're supposedly uh, divinely inspired, um, they're, they're still the medium of the brain that these messages have, have come through. Mm -hmm. And my sense is that there might be, uh, that there probably are kernels of truth in all of these teachings, right? In all of these books, there are kernels of truth. Uh, but I believe they have been um, manipulated, altered, uh, and, and, and changed through time and by the human brain. You know, we know even with near-death experiences, for instance, right, which people say uh, is the most real experience they've ever had. They say it's like waking up from a dream, except this life is the dream. And when they die, they're like, oh my gosh, of course, yes, this is reality. And a lot of them come back with all of this amazing wisdom. But as soon as they're back in their brain again, they can't, there are things about it they can't grasp again. As soon as they're experiencing again through the human brain, which is an amazing organism, by the way, right? Not, mm -hmm. uh, not to, to, you know, not to diminish the brain. It's amazing, but it's a limiting thing. It, it really, um, I, I believe, limits our experience. And near-death experiences are evidence of this because people say they have a 360-degree view. They have all of these things that they can't possibly explain once they're in a human brain. Um, but it seems to me that a lot of the ancient wisdom texts could have been people having an experience like that. And then they're back in their body again, they're, they're conscious again, and they're trying to relate what it is that they experienced. But I think it's impossible to do it perfectly uh, once you're again experiencing through your, through your physical apparatus um, and not the part of us that is, that is beyond this yeah. thing, this physical yeah. thing. So yeah, kernels of truth, I think for sure, but I don't take any of it um, ultra seriously, which you can't obviously, otherwise we'd be stoning people to death for wearing uh, multiple, you know, clothing made out of different types of fabric uh, in the street. So, uh, you know, you, you gotta be we get careful about um, all of that. Well, it also depends on how you define stoning these days. I mean, there are all kinds of stoning. You can get stoned on Facebook and I don't mean yes, in the context true. of, you know, that kind of thing. Although yeah. maybe that would be a good idea for you to get stoned before you go on Facebook so as to be able to better handle the trolls, as they say. We're talking with, <laughs> I don't know where that came from, Mike. Mike Anthony is my guest. Love Dad is the title of the book. And uh, I, I don't know about you, uh, Mike. <clears throat> I had... Uh, a wonderful set of experiences with my father when I was working for a local station in Phoenix. And we had a connection to, at that time, the Arizona D-backs. Hmm. And I got a few tickets. And you've seen these stereotypical programs and movies where, you know, the kid reaches a certain age and dad's going to take him to his first baseball game. Major League Baseball game. Now, I love baseball. I loved listening to Larry King when he was on the radio on a mutual broadcasting network out of New York talking about baseball and Earl Weaver and the, and the Baltimore Orioles and the Yankees and this and that and the other. He even had a guy call in on a regular basis telling him uh, that uh, the scores from last night prove that God exists. I still remember that. I still, but he would never, he, the guy would never tell him, what are the scores going to be for tomorrow? Right. He would never tell him that. Um, but um, I had the great privilege, and I loved doing it. I had the great privilege of taking my dad to a D-backs game. And it's I don't care what they call it now. It was called the Bob back then, Bank One Ballpark. 
And um, I think the first time we were up in the cheap seats, and my dad has very low vision, uh, as did I at one time. And so we ended up going down to TGI Fridays that was inside the stadium, but you had windows and all that stuff. So we went there. We had a, a couple of beers and had something to eat and had a really nice time. Uh, so I was glad that I was able to do that with my dad. That's one of the, the most uh, touching memories I can remember where, you know, you turn the tables on, on your dad, so to speak. Yeah. Tell us about one in particular that really stands out that either your dad did for you, that quote unquote stereotypical father son thing, or that you pulled on your dad that just as if your relationship wasn't close enough. I mean, it just the cement dried even more, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get the opportunity or didn't take it anyway to turn the tables as in the way that you just said. When my dad was still here, I was still very much leaning on him for everything. He was still the one making greasing the wheels of my life. And I kick myself like all the time. He had this bad garage door that my sister and I kept on saying, we're going to fix that for him. We're going to get, you know, his garage door opener had broken and we never did it. And still to this day, you know, I kick myself about that. So do what you can when you think of it. That's the message to people right now. Have you uh, fixed the garage door yet? Now it's fixed. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's fixed now, dad. Um, <laughs> timing timing but, is everything. You know that as an yeah, actor, timing oh, is man, everything. <laughs> indeed. Uh, but it's funny that you mentioned baseball because I am a huge baseball fan because of my father. And uh, when I was a little kid, maybe like three, they were there was a game on the television and I'm pointing at the game like that. Do we like those guys, dad? Uh, and he says, no, 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 we don't like those guys. You know, those are the guys that win all the time. We like the other guys. They're the underdogs. And then he explained to me what underdogs was. And it was a Yankee Red Sox game that was on. Oh. So I became a Red Sox fan when I was a kid. And one of my earliest memories is driving to Fenway Park for the first time with my dad. Uh, and he was letting me use the map. Oh, supposedly yeah. to get a, get us there. Um, and uh, that was just the best day of my life sitting yeah. there at, yeah, at, at Fenway Park, uh, mm. I'm getting chills actually right now thinking about this memory. Uh, and he's telling me about uh, Ted Williams and uh, all of the people who used to roam the outfield at Fenway, you know, the ghosts of the past oh, and yeah. um, just one of my favorite memories. So it's uh, interesting that you that's the one that you happened to bring up. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you now have the great pleasure in your era of uh, celebrating a World Series victory. Uh, which is great. They broke that curse of the Bambino, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, I did not ever, ever think that I would ever be able to celebrate a World Series because we didn't have a baseball team until 1998. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, man. Okay, great. So maybe they'll get to the playoffs one day, but maybe not in my lifetime kind of thing, right? They make it to the playoffs. And the next thing you know... They're in the World Series with the Yankees. And I had a dear friend uh, who uh, passed away not long ago. Uh, he and I were uh, fun rivals because he was from New York. And mm. uh, um, we used to joke about this where he says, oh, yeah, the D-backs winning in 2000, 2001. That, that was a fluke. I said, <laughs> fluke? We lost three straight games in New York. That's no fluke. You're yeah. playing one of the best teams in baseball history. And that's, I'm sorry, it's not a fluke. And so we came back to Phoenix and I was just, I was over the moon. So I can, I'm so excited to be able to say I come from a World Series town. 
I, yeah, that was Randy Johnson, right? And Kurt Schilling. You got it. On that yeah. team. Yeah, I remember that. Oh. that. Yeah, that's so great. One of my favorite stories that I heard, uh, the, 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 it's hard to say this, talk about it without crying, but this guy who was a huge uh, Cubs fan, uh, they did a story, I think, on NPR about this guy. He was a huge, he and his dad were huge Cubs fans. And then his dad died, uh, I think, maybe two years before the Cubs finally won that World Series. So for game seven, th this guy had moved away. They had grown up in Chicago and he was living like in Georgia or something. Mm -hmm. He drove his, but his dad was buried still back in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So for game seven, he drove from Georgia to Chicago with his little old timey radio and sat at the cemetery and listened to the game with his dad. Oh. I mean, is that not the most oh. beautiful thing? Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Those are the kinds of stories you'd even hear on the Larry King show. Uh, yeah. People might even call up and tell their own baseball stories. I listened as a kid growing up when my brother and I and neighbors, we used to build tents in our backyard and sleep outside in the backyard and we just had the radio on, and then back then it was AM twelve, uh, AM six twenty News Talk Radio KTAR, and they carried the Dodger games. So as a kid, I was, uh, I would say probably an unattached Dodger fan, uh, in that respect. Uh, but it was I, I, and I loved listening to. And now when I watch TV and I see a ball game on TV, I don't care who's playing. I just love watching the uh, Terry Cashman singer has some songs called Talkin' Baseball that he did when there were only 28 teams. But he also had one song called Baseball in Ballet. And, uh, oh, man, just fabulous stuff. But anyway, that's what, it, that's what it's like to me is, is watching a ballet. I know a lot of people think it takes too long and it's so slow and this and that. But it's because I am, like you, I'm sure, I'm into it. I can sit there through a three or four. And we've experienced long long 20 i think the dodgers were into a 21 inning game once i've i have produced uh, ball yeah. games for our local santa barbara foresters semi-pro team who have won eight world series of their own not major league but it's semi-pro um and i don't care who they're playing i mean sure i'm a homie i'll, I'll root for the the foresters but I just love listening to the play-by-play. -play. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's part of the magic of baseball. And yeah. I think it's a life lesson that there's no clock in baseball, right? Yeah. It's just allowed to unfold in the time that it takes. Mm -hmm. And it's about, and again, I go back to that memory with my dad. I wouldn't have cared if that lasted eight hours, that game, sitting yeah. there in those bleachers with my father on a Saturday afternoon in the yeah. sun, like take as long as you want, fellas. You know, I mean, yeah. there's no, there's no rush. Yeah. And that's what life is about too. It's about really being here in the moment right now. So ba baseball can be used as a, a tool for education in many, many ways as a yeah. metaphor. Now, uh, let me ask you, uh, you obviously wrote about your mother and your sister in this book. Did you, how, how did you feel about doing that? Did you get their permission? What, what's, what's the relationship these days based upon love dad? Yeah, we're, we're all very, very close. And, um, you know, my sister was basically my editor for me. And, you know, I definitely talked to my mom about it because there's stuff in there about their divorce and all of that stuff. So I definitely talked to them uh, about all of that. And they were 
you know, a hundred percent behind it. I, the way that you say the title love dad, by the way, well done. Uh, the reason that it's called that is because my dad had this precious way, you know, he was never, uh, very technical, you know, was not up on technology. And when he finally got a cell phone with voicemail on it and he called <laughs> and he left a voicemail at the end of it, he would say, okay, so, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. Love dad. As though he had, were, oh. were writing a letter and it was just this press it, uh, you know, precious way of ending his messages and so that's what the book is about because now he's given me all of these messages uh from the other side so that that's where the title comes from i'm just curious have you ever have you saved the voicemails oh yes absolutely they're they're right here i I have them saved in multiple locations good i actually had the great privilege of interviewing my parents on this program the program has not aired no one's heard it but my family and my parents Oh, and my mother great. says, I asked her, I says, can I run the, put this on the air? She says, no. <laughs> so I figure after they've passed, uh, given enough time, I probably will, uh, will, uh, will air it. It's not even available on a podcast, folks. Sorry. Uh, but uh, one day it will be. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun because I had a lot of trouble separating son from interviewer, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let me ask you, before we wrap things up here, let me let our listeners know this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And uh, we're talking with Mike Anthony, and his book is entitled, I love the butterfly on the cover, by the way, that's very cool, Love Dad. And it is basically uh, his story of he and his father and the relationship they had. And his father is basically saying, hey, buddy, I didn't die uh, in the conversation that they've had since his actual passing. So we hope you'll pick up a copy. Go to MikeAnthony.com and uh, find out more about Mike Anthony and Love Dad. And this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And I wanted to ask you, Mike, about your acting. Uh, How long have you been acting? Uh, I started in high school, you know, uh, but... uh never imagined I would have a career in it. Uh, And then, as I said, went to college for uh, science to be a science teacher, but I was doing, I got cast in a play at college freshman year. So then I started doing it at college as well, sort of in the background. And then it was my minor for a little while. And then by senior year, I ended up, uh, I had a very inspirational acting teacher and he said, you know what, if this is your passion, you've got to go all in both feet, no plan B, uh, which I don't necessarily recommend to everybody, but this, that, that's what this guy said. And uh, so I ended up majoring in acting instead. And and uh, so I've been doing it, you know, since high school, I became a professional actor in uh, 2005, I think. So about 16 years. So you've been OK. So you've been doing it for 16 years. Obviously, you're in one of the two places that you want to be to to live out that dream. Uh, and I'm curious, has it become what you have wanted it to be at this particular point? Are you or or are you still that struggling actor who's starving uh, between gigs and, and auditions and all of that kind of stuff? Where where are you today? Uh, yeah, I'm at my my um, sense of what is important in my life has entirely changed. Uh, you know, I used to when I uh, used to want to be famous, you know, I thought I'm going to go, I'm going to be on Broadway, I'm going to become famous, and that's going to be great. Um, at this point in my life, 
everything has has changed in terms of what is important to me. Um, I still do acting from time to time, uh, but I only I am not auditioning anymore. I now only do a show if, if someone calls me and says, "Hey, I want you to come to you know someone I've worked with in the past, probably usually." Oh, um, okay. Be, yeah, yeah, because it's uh, once I started working at at Hamilton. I mean that uh, became such a juggernaut. Uh, that that took over and there wasn't time uh, to do acting for a while, which um, which also I would not change at all because I had such amazing that became such an amazing experience. And I learned to to that the real value in life, uh, the only thing that matters are the people that you're with, uh, how you're treating each other. Um, I mean, that's, that's really all that matters. So acting is still something I love. I love it. Um, but it's, it's not the, it's not the focus anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back when I was, uh, first moved to New York, I was up at eight o'clock every day in line at equity, you know, auditioning every day, um, you know, really grinding, grinding it out. Um, and that, that I'm not doing anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, it's still it's still a, a part of my life. Talk to me. Obviously, you've been introduced to the spirit world through your father's passing and uh, the mediums that have come into your life in that respect, as you've shared with us earlier. Tell me about your own, if if it's not too personal, uh, your own mm. personal uh, walk with spirit, your uh, understanding of who Mike Anthony is and uh, where he stands in the world. Yeah, it's something that, you know, that's mostly what I think about now, right? I now believe that we come into this life for a reason, that we choose to come back to this thing. And again, I now completely believe that we do come back again and again and again. Uh, and so that's what I spend my time thinking about now. You know, what What was I, what was the thing uh, that I came back for this time primarily? What mm -hmm. was I doing? Because I also believe that there's a reason that a, that a veil is put up so we don't just clearly remember it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in order to give the, the, the lesson meaning uh, we sort of have to forget uh, the greater context. You know, mm. that's sort of my instinct on all of this now. We, we sort of have to believe for a time that this is the, the main event, you yeah. know, and that's what gives it its value. Yeah. So uh, that's what I spend my time doing now, you know, because, uh, and, and uh, you know, you said you, you talked about um, the using the word transitioning mm -hmm. rather than death, right? And I completely agree because now my experience is that I have not lost my father. Yeah. Uh, he, my, his, my relationship with him isn't gone. It's just transitioned into mm -hmm. something different. Yeah. Um, but he's just as present in my life as, as he's ever been. So <clears throat> yeah, spirit, um, which is a word we throw around, yeah. right? But uh, for lack of a better word, spirit has become much more of a focus of of, of my my yeah. life. You know, and and I tell you, um, when I think about this uh, uh, in that regard, uh, your father, as as we've kind of reiterated over and over again, isn't dead. He's just, as you say, transitioned. And that in spite of the fact that I know that you miss the physical aspects of your father, would you say that your relationship with him is deeper uh, than it was before he was here? In in a lot of ways, I would. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you said, would I like to have my dad here to give him a bear hug? I mean, of course. Yeah. But that said, he is just as present as he ever was in my life. And, and you know what happened? I have dreams with him a ton. I, I think 
almost nightly, I think I, I dream about him, but I have a few dreams, maybe three that were of a different nature. Uh, and one fairly recently that, you know, I can, they're crystal clear to this day. I can remember them. Um, and it, they're visits. I, I, I have to believe that they are actual visits with my father. Mm. So, um, yeah, his, he's, he's absolutely, he's so present in my life. Sometimes I'll be driving down the road and I'll like be surprised if I reach over and don't feel his shoulder, uh, in the passenger seat with me. I mean, that's how strong I, I, I feel his presence. So mm. very much in communication with him. And I think you're right that in some ways, uh, the relationship is even closer. Uh, he, uh, you know, now he, now he can see me whenever he wants to. Uh, so, yeah. you know, he's got a 360 degree view of things. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely gotten, uh, it's definitely a, an actual real to me, tangible relationship that continues. Wow, he is. Uh, he would have been seventy this year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, nineteen fifty-one. Right. Robert E. Right. Anthony, uh, and uh, you can get a copy of Love Dad uh, at mikeanthony.com. I'm sure it's also available on Amazon and other locations as well. You also have some great pictures in here as well. People can uh, take a look at and uh, some neat titles of some of the chapters like Groundhog Day. Uh, is that photograph of the three? Is that uh, your father in there? Uh, yes, that's my dad. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Very yep. cool. Very cool. Mike, I want to yep. thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, for uh, being here on the program today and encouraging people to get a copy of your book as well, Love Dad, uh, available again at MikeAnthony.com or Amazon or any of the other wonderful locations as well. I have three final questions that I do want to ask you before we wrap things up, but I want to let our listeners know this program is here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., as well as this special edition of Tell Me Your Story, and we stream live at RichardDugan.com at those times. We also podcast these programs on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations uh, that you folks are reposting to. Thank you for doing that. And also, thank you for supporting us financially. If you're able to do so, we do have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And we also ask you to spend time uh, listening to that still small voice during this, the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Uh, find that still, calm, peaceful place uh, that uh, I'm guessing, Mike, you have found. And that's kind of where you have that kind of communication, even though I would venture that even as you're going through your day, walking down Fifth Avenue or something, that uh, suddenly you get this impression uh, that your father is kind of putting putting on you uh uh, you know, hey, why don't you go here? Or, hey, it's good to hear from you or see you or whatever. Uh, that that uh, you ever you have that quiet time where you're able to actually just kind of commune or sometimes maybe just be together. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've been doing it a ton this year because of COVID, obviously. <laughs> uh, Broadway has been shut down. Uh, so I've had a lot of time. I've been spending a lot of time out in the woods. Uh, just, just trying to get quiet and doing some more uh, meditation. So yeah, that's that's become a bigger aspect of my life as well. Very cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let our listeners uh, hear the answers to these three questions, and then we will say our goodbyes. And I thank you so much uh, for sharing this story from your father, Robert. Uh, uh, Anthony is the uh, is is the father of Mike Anthony, who is our guest. And my first of three questions is. Who is Mike Anthony? Oh, he's a guy uh, bumbling through this life, uh, trying to do the best that he can to uh, leave people better uh, than I found them. 
What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? The main thing I want to do is help people um, to bring any comfort that I can uh, to people who might be suffering. Again, we we've talked about grief um, and what, you know, the hardest thing probably about being a human being is losing those that we love, uh, people who do make that transition. And uh, my hope is to just bring any modicum of comfort that I can uh, by sharing the evidence that's out there, mm -hmm. suggesting that you have not seen your, your loved ones for the last time. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Hmm. Still working on that one, Richard. I think I'm starting to think that my life's purpose is, is all about getting to be right here, right now. And sort of letting the purpose take care of itself, if that makes any sense, uh, by being completely present, which is not easy to do all the time. Our brains are so busy, and mine especially, uh, that I think my purpose is to be here now. And, uh, and I think that that helps other people be here now as well. And I want to say to you, uh, Richard, that I thank you for having me. You've got a great vibe about you, my friend. And, uh, you know... I, you know, you talked before about legacy. Uh, you, you, you're, you've got a fantastic legacy in ways that you'll never know, at least while you're in a body. Uh, maybe someday, many, 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 many years from now, when you're not in that brain anymore, you'll realize, oh my gosh, look what I did. So uh, thank you for doing what you're doing. It's important work. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the kind words. And again, your appearance here on the program and your story. Love, Dad. Mike Anthony has been my guest. MikeAnthony.com is the website. We will be linked to your website so that people can go straight there while they're listening or watching uh, the uh, YouTube video as well. And I thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.